Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught for a touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? Each week, we dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us this week. In our next segment, it's the Sports Business Radio headlines of the week and the story that has dominated the headlines. One of the biggest stories I've ever seen in all of my years in covering sports is the scandal going on at Penn State. So many different layers to it. We will try and scratch the surface on some of it. And there's so much. It's such a fluid story, but we'll try and scratch the surface in segment two. In segment three, we'll catch up with Sam Amick, our NBA insider from Sports Illustrated. He'll join us to bring us the latest from the NBA labor front. Will there be a season? Can they finally get a deal done? We'll discuss with Sam Amick. Then in segment four, someone I've been chasing for a while since I had him on a year ago, NCAA President Mark Emmert. Perfect timing for our conversation this week. We will discuss the Penn State scandal. We'll discuss Joe Paterno. We'll discuss conference realignment, the BCS, all of the money that's in college athletics, and then some really good changes that I like that I've seen in the NCAA in recent months. And there's going to be changes to the rule book, and I like that too. My conversation with NCAA President Mark Emmert coming up in segment four. Visit my sports business blog, download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. Become our Facebook friend. Follow me on Twitter. Find those links to the Sports Business Radio Facebook and Twitter pages by looking for those icons on the front page of sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm on Twitter, at SB Radio. I tweeted a lot this week. I will continue to tweet a lot, especially in regards to the Penn State scandal and the NBA lockout. Headlines coming up next. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more. SBR will be right back. Take a whole lot of medication to realize what we used to have. We don't have it It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages, and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. 
It's time, baby. Special news bulletin. At Sports Business Radio, we're always on top of what's happening in the world of sports. And each week, we break down the stories you need to know about. This is Headlines. I want to be in the headlines. On Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. Well, there's really only one headline that matters this week. And as I said at the top of the show, it's one of the biggest stories I've ever seen. And to think about it like this, this story just broke to the mainstream media on Sunday. And in one week, it's mushroomed into one of the biggest scandals we've ever seen in the history of sports. And I think next to O.J. Simpson, and maybe when it's all said and done, it'll be bigger than the O.J. Simpson story. It is so far and wide, and we're really in the first quarter, everyone, and that's what's really sad about this story. But what's going on at Penn State is a scandal has obviously broken out, and it's based around former assistant coach Jerry Sandusky on molestation charges. And it's just unbelievable the cover-up that seems to be taking place here. But Penn State... And their board of trustees got together this week. Here's board vice chair John Surma announcing at a press conference on Wednesday night that Graham Spanier, the president of the university, and Joe Paterno have been fired. The board of trustees and Graham Spanier have decided that effective immediately, Dr. Spanier is no longer president of the university. In addition, Joe Paterno is no longer the head football coach. Effective immediately. Griggs, I don't really even know where to start with this story. I haven't slept this week. Um, This is a story that's really just touched a nerve with me. I know it's touched a nerve with a lot of other people. We both are parents of young children, and I frankly can't even imagine that this kind of stuff happens. And to hear some of the horrifying, chilling details through the 23-page grand jury report and then find out that Jerry Sandusky was on the Penn State campus as recently as last week— and that he has seemingly set up this, uh, you know, he set up a second mile foundation, and it seems like he's run a lot of his victims through this foundation, so he got them to trust him through the foundation. He made it look to the outside like he was doing good charitable work, when if you read this 23-page grand jury report, you can see that he was doing something quite different. And to say this is an abuse of power would be the biggest understatement I've ever uttered. Yeah, and it's just one of those stories that's just so heavy. It just You just got this pit in your stomach. The more you, that comes out, the more you read about it. And like you said, we both have kids, so you really uh, attach to it. You really cling to it. And yeah, it's just like you turn the TV off last night and you just it just lives with you. And I think it's something that's going to be obviously on the media and in the media for you know a while to come, for sure. People may disagree with me. I've debated this on my Portland, Oregon show this week. I think when it's all said and done and you look back on the career of Joe Paterno, who, by the way, coached for 46 years, won two national championships and is on the Mount Rushmore of college football coaches as the winningest football coach in the history of college football, a mark that he set just last weekend. I think when people think of Joe Paterno, they will automatically go to this. This will overshadow everything that he's done in his career. I think if you're Penn State, do you take a statue down? Do you take down the name on the Joe Paterno Library on campus? He helped raise $4 million for that. Um, There's the Joe Paterno Child Care Center, ironically enough, on the campus of Nike here in Oregon. When 
people damage their brands to the uh, length that Joe Paterno has now damaged his brand. And people can say, you know what? This wasn't him that committed the crime. This happened on his watch. He didn't do what was necessary to stop this from happening. And it went on, according to many reports, for another eight to 10 years. Who knows how many victims? Victims have come forward this week. And for him to do nothing about this, for Mike McQuarrie, the assistant coach who walked in on Jerry Sandusky with a 10-year-old boy in the shower, to do nothing about this, it's mind-boggling. I said this on my local show this week. We owe the community to be good citizens. If you see someone in a car accident, you stop and help them. You don't keep driving. If you see someone being mugged on the street, you stop and help them. You don't say, that's not my problem. If you see a 10-year-old boy or any child being hurt by an adult, you stop them. The fact it wasn't done here, Griggs, makes me so angry. I, I've had a hard time sleeping this week. Yeah, and it's, it's just that not only one person, but multiple people were covering this up, you know, and it, and it got out and they knew about it and they just uh, they sat on it. I don't know how it happens. And, and like you say, I agree with you. When somebody does something to tarnish their image, uh, that's what people remember. I mean, look at O.J. Simpson. Who remembers the big runs? They remember the car chase. Right. I mean, it's when somebody does something like this, you, you remember the bad. So, yeah, everybody's going to remember Joe Pa like this. Well, and I'll tell you what this does, too, is, you know, we've talked and I'll talk to NCAA President Emmert about this. Scandals in the NCAA this year at Miami, at Ohio State, at North Carolina. People, those pale in comparison to this. That's about accepting cash. It's about some tattoos. It's about some yacht rides. It's not about molesting children. If you have the stomach to read the 23-page report, read it. You will see how deep and serious this story is. And to the Penn State students who rioted on Wednesday night in favor of Joe Paterno, in support of Joe Paterno, are you kidding me? As I tweeted out on Wednesday night, everyone at that riot should have been made to sit down and forced to read that 23-page report. After you read that report, if you still go out and riot in support of the football program, you should have your head examined for brain activity. Because I don't think there's a brain in your head, Griggs. Yeah, it's just an example of kids that don't know the story, going out there and trying to you know, support their school or whatever. Well, and but you know what it is, Griggs? And this is the sick thing about the world we live in today. It's an example, and it's not just at Penn State. It's at many other institutions. Joe Paterno was a deity. He was insulated. He was bulletproof. And he won football games and national championships. He was a legend there. And it's almost like the Penn State students said, how dare you try and bring down the king? Who are you to try and bring down the king? I'm sorry, but when you do heinous Things like this, when you're uh, a part of a program that let heinous activity like this take place, you don't deserve your job, and, and I think you should go to prison. And we'll see. I mean, we're taping this show right now, but there's reports that Joe Paterno wants to speak. Well, if he speaks and says the wrong thing, and he conflicts his grand jury report, he's going to prison for perjury. He's 84 years old. You know what the other night reminded me of, too, Griggs, when Joe Paterno and his wife came outside of their house and waved to everyone and said a few things? It reminded me of, like, he thinks he's the Pope. He came out, gave a little wave, and then he went back in his house. I mean, who does this guy think he is? 
And I don't think he's shown nearly enough remorse. By the way, I'm a PR expert. This will go down in the history of PR as one of the most botched PR crises responses I've ever seen. I mean, we've talked about Tiger Woods. We've talked about BP. If you want a business example, this is right alongside of those. And this is much more serious than either one of those cases. That's why anyone listening to this show, if you're not prepared for a crisis, if you're not prepared for what's my chain of command if something like this, God forbid, ever happens or any kind of a crisis happens, you are really out of it. And you need to get in touch with today's reality because as we've seen this week with Twitter and Facebook and everything else, these stories spread virally very, very quickly. And Penn State's response, starting with the cancellation of Paterno's press conference and then how they handled that bizarre press conference with the Board of Trustees on Wednesday night, that was one of the more bizarre scenes I've ever seen. Just a crazy story coming out of Penn State. We're going to switch gears, and we're going to talk about the NBA lockout with Sam Amick coming up next. We'll get the latest from him. Will there be an NBA season? Then in segment four, it's my lengthy, candid conversation with NCAA President Mark Emmert. We'll discuss this Penn State scandal. We'll discuss conference realignment, changes to the rulebook, Many things coming up in that conversation. I'm Brian Berger, and you're listening to Sports Business Radio. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter, twitter.com slash SBRadio. into each other, our colors appear and bleed into one. Fade into me, fade into you, the two of us melting together. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bull Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. This is Sports Business Radio. We bring on our NBA insider, Sam Amick from SportsIllustrated.com. Sam, how are you? Doing great, Brian. How you doing? I'm doing well. Are you sitting down? <laughs> I'm actually standing, but I can, I can handle. What do you got? Well, I'm, I'm changing my tune. All along, I've been the guy who said, I don't think a deal is going to get done. I've been very pessimistic. I can smell a deal. I feel pretty good about where things are going in the next several days. I, uh, I am with you, my friend. And here's the thing that you know as well as anyone, and this business is tricky. Stories like this are very big, so you can't be wrong. And you've got you know, you, you to read the tea leaves, but the tea leaves don't dictate the news. But I can tell you that I have some pretty interesting tea leaves that are pointing me in that direction. And, you know, listen, a couple of weeks ago, you know, we saw stuff where people reported that T. 
team officials are being put on alerts, you know, this thing is almost over, and then it went south. So, I mean, we have seen that before, but I'm with you. There's some, some interesting signs that it's going that way. Uh, but uh, I think until these guys come out and actually say it, I'm not sure I'm going to believe it. The other thing that seems to be happening is that David Stern is having uh, a positive impact on the hardline owners, the guys that have really been the last ones to come around on this deal, that maybe he's getting through to them about the benefits of getting a deal done sooner than later. Would you agree with that? Well, I'm hopeful. Um, You know, Alan Hahn of Newsday had just tweeted some stuff within the last hour saying that he was told that some of those guys were being unrelenting was the word that he uh, had picked, and Peter Holt of the Spurs was the one that he, he, he pointed to. Um, you know, and, and I certainly have bought into the narrative that David Stern has far less control now than he did in the 98-99 lockout because I've always felt that that was at the root of, of why the players would be insane for if they ultimately actually did decertify was because that might have – if it didn't scare Stern in 98, it, it might have concerned him a little bit. You know, this time around, it's not about Stern. Um, but if he did that, and if he got the Hawks to relent a little bit, uh, honestly, I think, you know, he deserves, you know, a lot of credit in this thing if he can pull that thing off because, you know, that has been an incredibly difficult crowd that we all thought was going to ultimately sacrifice this season. There seemed to be uh, a more friendly, the press conferences were a little friendlier last night. I know they were earlier in the evening, but there didn't seem to be the confrontational overtones that we've seen from some of the other press conferences recently. No, I agree. Listen, I, I, I didn't ride last night. I was checking in with people and I tweeted a few things, but I, I did get in touch with somebody who was in the room and on the player's side. And what I was told, um, when I asked very you know generically, uh, can this thing get done, was I don't think they have the authority, meaning, uh, you know, the committee in front of them from the owner's side. And that speaks right to the, the, the Hawk crowd that we talked about and the fact that technically they can get to a place where they think the lockout might appear to be over, but it has to get, you know, cleared through their people. Now, I would assume that most of this stuff was discussed this morning going into this meeting and, and cleared on a certain level. Um, but uh, again, it's it's complicated and, and a sensitive dynamic on the owner side. So the players, no matter, I think they were probably trying to downplay how much progress there was because they didn't trust, you know, uh, the ability of the other side to, to get it through. We're joined by Sam Amick of SI.com. He's our NBA insider. All right, so let's look at two different scenarios. Let's look at the positive side first. Let's say they do make a deal. Don't they need at least 30 days before they'd be able to get on the court? Because I know, Sam, one of the things they really would like to try and do is save those Christmas Day games that are so important to their network partners and sponsors. Yeah, no, that's huge. Uh, you know, and I, I had looked into that from the ESPN and TNT angle trying to get a sense of what they truly cared about, you know, did they, were they pushing hard for an 82-game season or, you know, because they, you know, they, they play a part here, which is why on the media front it gets so tricky because, you know, you got business uh, relationships, you know, kind of mixing with media. And what I was told is that Christmas is a huge priority. Um, they would be upset if Christmas got lost. And then, you know, the playoffs, obviously, I mean, if you lose a whole season, ESPN and TNT are going to, I think, go riot at David Stern's house. But, uh you know, I think at this point, uh, Christmas would be salvaged. Uh, and in fact, uh, again, an indication that I got was that December 15th would be the start date to the season. You know, and, and that's fairly consistent. Stern has said he needs 30 days. 
I think free agency would start, you know, seven, ten days after uh, an agreement was met. You got to have a, a tiny, uh, mini little training camp, and then uh, maybe one or two preseason games or something, to, you know, along those lines, and then jump right into it. Worst case scenario, they walk out today. They have two separate press conferences, and they say we're too far apart, and they don't have any meetings set up. What happens next? Decertification. <laughs> I call the editors at SI and ask them if they want me to start writing about the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you. I, I mean, because technically all, all hope would not be lost just yet. You would have a, a, yeah, a period of 45 to 60 days because I do think the players would either go to this, uh, decertification or, as was reported last night, indications that the union is willing to, to disassociate, which is a cleaner approach to a you know means to the same end where the union disappears and and uh and players are fighting as independent contractors so to speak and you know an antitrust lawsuits would be a possibility but the next 45 to 60 days you would have negotiations and the players would hope that the threat uh on the owners would lead them to to be more reasonable i have zero confidence whatsoever that that would actually happen and think, uh, yeah, at that point, you'd be talking about a lost season. I mean, we've had a lot of D-Days, but this is, for me personally, uh, far and away, you know, the the, the most real D-Day uh, throughout this entire lockout. The players have given back reportedly $3 billion plus. So, you know, at the beginning of this thing, the owner said, we're losing $300 million a year. So the players have given them that money back, $3 billion over a 10-year deal, at this point, isn't it kind of just running up the score if the owners don't agree to a deal? I mean, they've crushed the players. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. I, I do think they've crushed the players and agree that, you know, it's time to call it a day and, and go home with your W, and it's a blowout. It's not a close game. Um, but on the players' side, you know, listen, I know it's not a great deal for them, uh, and I know some things get oversimplified, you know, but I'm sure you read, you know, Tom Penn had a good piece on ESPN recently is the former assistant GM of the Portland Trailblazers, uh, wrote a story uh, making the argument that the NBA's pr- uh, proposal on the table right now would still have NBA players as, you know, the most well-compensated in pro sports on a relative basis. And so I don't think it's, you know, all doom and gloom for the players. Uh, bottom line, though, I agree, it's time for the owners to, to go home, feel good about this, and, and let, you know, let all of us have a season. That's Sam Amick from SI.com. He's our NBA insider. Sam, will uh, keep our fingers crossed and hope for good things, and I'm sure we'll be catching up again soon. Appreciate you making the time. No problem. Thanks, Brian. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. More of the show is coming up. Well, you done done me, and you bet I felt it. I tried to beat you, but you're so hot that I melted. I felt right Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. It's no secret that we're battling a tough economy these days. It's more difficult than ever for companies to position their brand in a unique way and reach their target audience. Sports Business Radio can help you, though. Sports Business Radio is syndicated in markets nationwide. Our popular podcast is regularly rated in the top 100 business news podcast on iTunes and has listeners around the world. But our radio network and podcast aren't the only places your company will receive exposure when you join our family of sponsors. We'll also give you exposure via sportsbusinessradio.com and at our new Sports Executive Speaker Series events, which feature a conversation with a key decision maker from the world of sports in front of a live audience. And best of all, we can expose your product to the big-name guests that appear on our show. We'd love to have you on our team. Please contact me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com 
www.thepatriotmedia.com or at 503-701-2215 if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of Sports Business Radio. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. I'm joined right now by the president of the NCAA, Mark Emmert. Mark, thanks for taking the time to join me. I know you have a busy schedule. Oh, my pleasure, Brian. Good to talk to you. So you've been the president of the NCAA for a year now. Look back on your first year on the job and tell us what you've learned about being president of the NCAA and the path that you want to take moving forward. <laughs> wow. Well, it's been quite a year, obviously. You know, I came into the job uh, having, been, having been president of a couple of universities and spent my, my entire life on campuses. And, and so I'm, I'm well familiar with and, of course, been actively engaged in intercollegiate athletics um, and the oversight of them for a long time. But, you know, this year was, uh, I think, a surprise to everybody with the, the volume and level of, um, of scandals and issues that we've had. And then, of course, conference realignment, adding a lot of dynamics to it as well. But in the middle of all of it, we've been able to get some really terrific reforms uh, done, and we're moving forward on a lot of good fronts, so I feel great about all of that. Um, but nonetheless, we got a lot of challenges out there. Yeah, you've shown the ability to make some pretty swift changes during your tenure thus far. Division One Board of Directors recently approved a package of sweeping reforms that gives conferences the option of adding more money to scholarship offers. You've also imposed tougher academic standards on student-athletes. Why were those the most important changes to make right now? Well, after I'd been in the job a little while, I decided I wanted to bring together a group of presidents and have a, a, a couple of days, just uh, me and 50 or so presidents uh, locked in a room and, and, and talking about those things that really needed to happen in intercollegiate athletics to, to uh, restore some of the credibility that I think we were clearly losing out there. And uh, the first thing that we all agreed on was, first, foremost, and always, student-athletes have to be students. They have to be students who happen to be athletes, not the other way around. And, and that meant that we had to hold them to, to high academic expectations, both the, the quality of their academic experience coming into a university and also the kind of performance that they, that they deliver when they're at our universities. And so we, we raised uh, the initial eligibility standards for what, it's required to, what is required to become a student-athlete and then also the, um, the requirements that they, they stay successful in the classroom, even if they're going to be eligible to uh, to play in any of our postseason tournaments or bowl games. And that's going to have, I think, a profound impact on student behavior. At the same time, we recognize that student athletes are putting in 30, 40 hours uh, a week these days uh, to be competitive athletes. And and uh, that means that they don't have opportunities for part-time jobs like uh, most students and a variety of other challenges that they face. So we wanted to provide uh, for those conferences who have the resources an opportunity to increase the size of the scholarship, but never to exceed never to exceed the uh, the full cost of going to school. So, in other words, this is about paying for schooling, not about paying athletes. There's been confusion that this is about pay for play. It's unequivocally not. Uh, no one uh, that I know in in higher education supports uh, paying student athletes. This is about them being students and being successful in the classroom and on the court. You've got a tough job because we see in the news all the time. So, for an example, the recently negotiated TV contracts, the five biggest conferences, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, Pac-12, and SEC, they're going to make nearly $14 billion in the next 15 to 20 years. You've got schools making 17 to $20 million a year. So your challenge, as I see it, is trying to still get the message across about student-athletes and amateurism when so many are focused on the big business of college athletics. How do you do that? 
Well, I think you're right, obviously, Brian. It's a heck of a challenge because you see those huge numbers on the TV contracts. What you don't see is where those dollars go and what they support. Uh, so last year there were only uh, 17 schools in Division One that had positive cash flow. The vast majority wind up spending all of their, their media money, uh, those big contracts, if you will, to support all of their athletic programs. So uh, football money doesn't go just to support football. It supports track and, and cross country and volleyball and you know all of the 16 to, uh, to 30 sports that every Division I school has. Uh, the only thing that has, uh, that has positive revenue coming out of it is football. So uh, yeah, every school is interested in trying to drive up their revenue around their media contracts because their expenses in all their other areas are very, very high. We're joined by NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert, I read a comment where you said recently you expect the NCAA rulebook to shrink dramatically by the start of the next school year. How do you plan on changing the rulebook in the coming months? Yeah, so coming out of this presidential uh, meeting that I had, we agreed on two things. One, that students are going to be serious students, and two, that we're going to have... um, uh, the, uh, we're going to conduct the, the games in a way that, that has great integrity behind it. And in order to do that, we need to shrink the rule book, get it down to where it's sensible, and the, and the issues that we're policing are, in fact, real threats to integrity, not some of the ticky-tack nonsense that's in there right now. I mean, we all recognize there's rules that are unenforceable. They don't necessarily make sense. They're, uh, they're, they're not the things that we're mostly concerned about. I have a, a working group that I put together that's, kinda, that's being led by the president of Clemson and uh, has ADs and coaches and um, athletes and uh, commissioners on it to help us look at that rule, that rule book and um, throw out major sections of it and start all over again saying, let's worry about what our major goals are here, not, not whether or not someone's sending a tweet or whether or not they're getting bagels when they shouldn't. It's, you know, who's, uh, who's engaged in uh, unethical behavior, who's, uh, who, who's got rogue boosters around, who's got um, people that aren't being forthright when they're dealing with us. You know, the, the, it, <laughs> frankly, the lessons our moms taught us, right? When we were kids, those are, those are where we need to focus, and that's what we're going to be doing. They're going to bring forward proposals in the coming uh, months, and by, um, by summer, we're going to have a very different set of rules. That's great. I think it's great that you're going to have some former and current maybe student athletes in the room because I think their perspective is important as well. So you mentioned earlier we've seen some pretty high-profile scandals in the last year, Ohio State, Miami, North Carolina. Does the NCAA still have the bandwidth to identify and punish the cheaters, or has this become too big of a job that maybe needs to be outsourced? Well, I don't think there's any uh, any um, thoughtful way to outsource it. You know, if if we need uh, what I've been saying all along is if we need more more staff or more resources on the job, then then we'll put them there. Uh, the the real challenge is that most people don't um, commonly think about because it's not it's not in their purview to worry about these things. Is the NCA, of course, is a voluntary association. We we engage in self policing of uh, of our membership. Uh, we don't have subpoena power. We don't have police powers. We're not a state agency. So uh, when we, we ask someone who's no longer part of, um, of collegiate athletics if they'll 
uh, tell us about this story or provide us with these facts. They, they're not compelled to do so. Uh, and so we wind up gathering uh, information about, about cases, much like a good investigative reporter can do. You know, you, you can get all your sources, you can get all your information, and, and then at the end of the day, we have to make sure that the, uh, the allegations are factual and that they're double-checked and that we're, we're doing things in the right fashion. So that's occasionally, uh, I know, frustrating the fans out there, but that's the way we have to go about our business. We're joined by NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert, the story out of Penn State this week, it's shocking, it's disturbing. The allegations in the 23-page report are numbing. Share your reaction to this story, if you would. I suspect they're like everybody else's. Uh, They're much like you just uh, said, Brian. You know, I read that 23-page report, and it's just gut-wrenching. You know, this is a story that's not about sports per se, but it's about someone uh, allegedly taking a position of power and trust and using it to to abuse children you know that's that's about as disgusting uh, behavior as we have in our society and and so it's it's just shocking that that this is going on and we have to let the the, the legal system work its course and see what the real facts are but to have this kind of a um, a story surround a university and a and an athletic program that's been so revered for all the right reasons for so long is is um, I, I think you use the word numbing. I think that's the right word. It, it, it just uh, leaves us all in a state of disbelief. President Emmert, when a story like this breaks, is there anything the NCAA can do? Do you have a role in this, or do you just kind of sit back and hope that everything takes care of itself in the proper way? Well, uh, of course, the the criminal justice system trumps uh, any NCAA bylaws. You know, this is this goes far beyond. Uh, anything you'd even think about in uh, in terms of an NCA infraction of course and and so we're going to we're going to um, uh, pay close attention to the process see how this plays out and then um, as it evolves if there's a uh, role a constructive role that we can play or uh, there's there's any reason to believe NCA rules are violated here we'll obviously act and we'll act um, aggressively What's your reaction to the news that Joe Paterno, the coach with more wins than anyone else in college football, will retire at the end of the season after 46 years of coaching? I mean, he's on the Mount Rushmore of coaches in college sports. Well, that that anyone with a with such a distinguished career and who's been so iconic um, may end his career amidst these kinds of. Um, issues is uh, i mean it evokes all kinds of emotion doesn't it i mean it it's saddening it's frustrating it's um uh, shocking in a lot of ways um and, and so we we um we hope that it it's handled as well as it possibly can and of course at the end of the day we we all want something as positive as we can to come out of this for these victims you know there's there's uh, allegedly at least eight young men now now young men who were boys who were victimized and uh, and doubtlessly uh, scarred for life because of all of this and and we need to find out what's the best thing to do for them well i definitely appreciate you answering that and i appreciate your stance on it i think at a time like this people want answers they want some sympathy and i've read your quotes in the last few days and i appreciate you uh, answering that question right there Talk to me about conference realignment. It seems like it's a big game of musical chairs, and while it's exciting for some schools, I think it's dizzying for other people. Is it good or bad for the NCAA with all these schools playing musical chairs? 
Yeah, it's it's largely neutral for the NCAA, but but I think the bigger question is what does it what does it all mean for you know just intercollegiate athletics overall? And and some of these conference moves make some sense for individual schools and probably for conferences, and and some of them are are you know leaving you scratching your head. Uh, the the issue is. Of course, that the the schools themselves, individual universities, and as a guy who was a president of universities for uh, much of his career, uh, understands this. They're the ones that need to decide, and only a school can decide which conference it wants to be a part of, and only the conference itself can decide who do they want in their conference. And the NCAA doesn't play a role in all of that, and that's all well and good and makes some sense. But what what I want to have happen is I want to make sure that people are making these decisions, boards and presidents and athletic directors and conferences themselves, um, carefully, thoughtfully looking at the implications of this for student athletes, recognizing that there's a lot of tradition and there's a lot of regional importance that these that these conferences hold for our fans and our student bodies, um, and and then making and then making good decisions uh, calmly and patiently. I, I think during the summer. We had um, something akin to, uh, to to almost panic setting in. You're right. Musical chairs is, is exactly the right <laughs> metaphor, right? I mean, nobody wanted to be left without a chair. Right. And the chair is, for the most part, a BCS automatic qualification conference. So everybody wants to be in one of those. Um, everybody wants to try and maximize revenue. That's not a bad thing. That's that's a good thing. But uh, on the other hand. When you fly in um, students uh, three quarters of the way across the country to play a Tuesday night volleyball game, and they got to be back in class on Wednesday morning, you know you got to say, well, wait a minute, what what does this mean for students? And we need to make sure everybody's thinking about the big picture of this uh, this whole enterprise, also. Just a few minutes left with NCAA President Mark Emmert. President Emmert, when the BCS TV contract expires after the 2014 BCS games, might we see a, a change in the current system, or is this what we're going to have for the foreseeable future? Well, I, you know, this is just speculation. I would suspect that there'll be some changes. What those are is, is um, obviously conjecture right now. Uh, there is, uh, of course, no no shortage of opinions on what the BCS is, right. isn't, and what it should or shouldn't be. Uh, our job is that we we run uh, all of the championships for intercollegiate athletics, 89 of them, in fact, and uh, the one that we don't is is of course FBS football. NCAA's never run uh, those bowl games, and and if the the universities and the presidents want to move in a direction that the NCA has a role in that, well, then we're more than happy to, to play that role. But, you know, people have to recognize that the bowl system, while it may not deliver the kind of championship they want, it, it's a pretty good system with, with uh, 70 teams getting a chance to play postseason play. And, and I, I've never met uh, football players that were walking off a field of a bowl game and said, gee, I wish I didn't get a chance to play in that bowl. You know, they love it. It's great opportunity. Schools like it. Uh, so whatever we do, we also need to make sure that that uh, some of those traditions are maintained because they're a big part of American society. So you think the fact that there's 35 bowl games, 70 teams going to bowl games, that's not watering it down, that's about right, and that's what the presidents want? Well, you know, again, we could debate about that all day, but yeah, it is what the presidents want, uh, and, and the system is, is in large part a, a, a market model we, the NCA, uh, through our membership, set the eligibility standards, and so, you know, we we changed the rules long before I got here that said you could be uh, six and six and go to a bowl game. 
Uh, we just added, of course, a new academic requirement so that if they're not also successful in the classroom, they're not going to get to a bowl game. So uh, if, if those rules, if our academic rules had been in place last year, uh, eight teams would not have been bowl eligible. So there would not have been enough teams to, to fill the, uh, the 35 bowls. So we'd have had some bowls go dark for uh, imagine this academic reasons. <laughs> well, and <laughs> correct. Pleased about. Correct me if I'm wrong, but UConn wouldn't have made the NCAA basketball tournament, right? Yeah, that's right. There would have been seven teams that wouldn't have made it into the tournament last year. Now, our hope, of course, is that uh, by the time this is fully implemented in in three years, that the behavior will change and that coaches will recognize that look, our kids got to go to class or we're not going to get to play in the tournament. That's that's pretty serious motivation. And uh, and we're hoping that it'll create the kind of peer pressure among student athletes that they uh, they watch each other go to class because then they'll they'll be eligible they'll do fine and uh, and no one wants to uh, to say to their teammates well I I, I flunked my uh, English class so I guess we don't get to go to the dance this year yeah that would be bad news President Emmert I'm based in Oregon many Duck supporters want to know when we might hear from the NCAA again about the investigation into Oregon's football program. Any updates that you can share there? Uh, and, you know, we don't comment on ongoing investigations other than to uh, reassure everybody that, that we're working on those issues as, as uh, assertively and aggressively as we can. Uh, it has been a very, very busy year for all my investigatory staff, uh, but but they're working it and they're involved. They know that th- that this you know, putting putting people in limbo is is difficult, and we're not we're not uh, unaware of it. But uh, I can't comment on the investigation itself. Last question for you: It's been an eventful first twelve months. What are your priorities for the next twelve months? Well, the next thing we've got to do, um, as we've said, is we've got to we've got to change the rule book. We're working hard on that right now. We're going to change the way we we conduct um, the, uh, the the infractions hearings to make those processes faster and and as fair as they can possibly be. Uh, we're going to focus our attention on on the credibility issues and restoring credibility because we've lost the benefit of the doubt in so many of these areas. Uh, that's going to take us um, much of this coming year, but. You know, if uh, we talk again this time next year and we got all that done, plus the other reforms, uh, that'd been a really wonderful start. Well, I think you're doing a great job. Again, you know, not an easy task you've had in your first 12 months, and you've been good about making swift changes so far. So I applaud you for it. I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Okay, talk to you later, Brian. Bye. Podcast this show and any other past SBR episode at sportsbusinessradio.com. Back with more SBR after this. If I was just another dusty record on the shelf, would you blow me off and play me like everybody else? If I asked you to scratch my back, could you manage that? It's the age of new media and citizen journalism. Everyone with a smartphone and a flip cam is a reporter and everything is on the record. I'm Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio, and I team with former Nike executive Lee Weinstein to form media training company Everything is on the Record. With a combined 40 years of experience dealing with the media and helping our clients craft authentic messages, we'll help you navigate the tricky media landscape that exists today. Everything is on the Record has provided media training to pro and college athletes, coaches and executives, as well as to government leaders and CEOs. We'll teach you how to break through the clutter with your messages and we'll also assist you when you find yourself in crises. It's time for an innovative new approach to media training that best fits the world we live in today. For more information about Everything is on the Record, visit us online at everythingisontherecord.com. Contact us today to learn more about our innovative approach to media training and how we can meet your specific needs. 
Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. This is Sports Business Radio. Well, I have a company called Everything Is On The Record. Everythingisontherecord.com. It's media training. I've talked about it before. Someone who didn't think before he tweeted, actor Ashton Kutcher on Wednesday night. He's at A+. Plusk. P-L-U-S-K, if you don't know where he is on Twitter. He's got a lot of followers, several million. He fired off a tweet. How do you fire Joe Paw? Hashtag insult. Hashtag no class. As a Hawkeye fan, I find it in poor taste. Well, when Ashton Kutcher got lit up by people like me and many others, I sent him the 23-page grand jury report and said, read this, and then think about your tweet. Then he writes, a few hours later, her Joe was fired. Fully recant previous tweet, didn't have the full story. Hashtag admit when you make mistakes. Finally, at the end of the night, Ashton Kutcher, a brain surgeon, as of immediately, I will stop tweeting until I find a way to properly manage this feed. I feel awful about this error. Won't happen again. This won't be the first time, it won't be the last time that someone says something that they regret on Twitter. And my lesson of the week, Griggs, think before you tweet. People don't. It's amazing. And it just continues to shock us because just about weekly something comes out and some idiot goes on there. And a guy like him who's got millions and millions of people following him, does he think everybody's going to agree with him? Obviously not. And then he just gets blown up and it just looks like an idiot. If you're going to take a stance on an issue... Be sure that you're fully educated on that issue before you take a stance. Because if you don't educate yourself, chances are it's going to blow up in your face. And as I say, Twitter's like a loaded gun. And if you don't realize it's a powerful weapon and it's a big platform and people can retweet you and it can spread virally, you're making a big mistake. I want to thank our guest, NCAA President Mark Emmert. Really enjoyed our conversation. Sam Amick from SportsIllustrated.com. Our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Jared Melzer, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Doug Zanger, and Max Waterman. You can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Click on the iTunes icon on the front page of SportsBusinessRadio.com to have our show podcast downloaded to your iTunes every week. We'd love it if you post a review of our podcast on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next week right here on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is David Stern. He's the commissioner of the NBA. It is always a pleasure, Brian. Bill Hancock, he's the executive director of the Bowl Championship Series. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Mark, thanks for joining me. My pleasure. My guest is Mickey Loomis. He's the executive vice president and general manager of the world champion New Orleans Saints. Pleasure to be with you guys. Mr. Allen, thanks for joining me. Thank you. My guest is Mark Emmert. He's the president of the NCAA. Oh, happy to join you. My pleasure. My guest is Eric Spolstra. He's the head coach of the Miami Heat. Brian, appreciate it. Glad to, uh, glad to be on the show. Mr. Nicholas, it's an honor to have you on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for joining us. 
My pleasure, Brian. Visit sportsbusinessradio.com and subscribe to our free iTunes podcast. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and stay connected to the business side of sports only with Sports Business Radio. 